my calculations are correct, when this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious shit. Welcome back to the Before You Die podcast, where every week we watch a movie from the 1001 movies to watch before you die list and give you our opinion on whether or not we think it's worth your time. My name is Craig. Uh, as usual, I'm joined by Gavin and James, and this week we're discussing Back to the Future. Yay. Yeah. Favorite film. Well, actually, probably one of my favorite films of all time. Yeah. I think we're we're all probably agreed on this. Yeah. This is going to be a totally Top down a third yeah. week in a row. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we need, to, we need a, a debatable biased. one. Yeah. Like. So for anybody unfamiliar with the, the movie itself, Back to the Future is the 1985 film starring Michael J. Fox, Christopher Lloyd, uh, Chris Chris Glover, Crispin Glover, Leah Thompson, and many others. Directed by Robert Zemeckis. Written by Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale too. Little synopsis. It's about a young man who's accidentally sent 30 years into the past by a time-traveling DeLorean invented by his friend Dr. Emmett Brown and he must make sure his high school-aged parents unite in order to save his own skin really, and make sure he exists. His literal existence. Yeah, so... Wait, we're not playing it, but here's a clip. Oh, yes, <laughs> yes. yes. This is the yes. bit where Doc Brown says something. some serious shit. Yeah. Or something else equally funny. Yeah, here's an iconic clip. Lost. Ah, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, Doc, you disintegrated Einstein. Calm down, Marty, I didn't disintegrate anything. The molecular structure of both Einstein and the car are completely intact. Where the hell are they? The appropriate question is, when the hell are they? You see, Einstein has just become the world's first time traveler. I sent him into the future. One minute into the future, to be exact, and precisely... 1.21 a.m. in zero seconds, we shall catch up with him at the time machine. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Doc. Uh, are you telling me that you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? All right, so let's get started. Uh, cast. Performances. Were they good? Were they bad? Who was in it? Who are these people? Um. Well, Michael J. Fox. Amazing. He is... Just brilliant in this film. I remember saying when we were watching um, Independence Day that you saw someone see their star and just grab it pretty much. And that's what happened with Michael J. Fox. I think he knew this was going to be the role that could really push him up to the, to the stratosphere, really, because he is absolutely amazing in this. Even though I think he was in his mid-20s, you fully buy him as a teenager. You fully buy him as kind of the cool guy in school. You know, like you're, there's just something inherently cool about Michael J. Fox in this film. Christopher Lloyd great as always um crispin glover love crispin glover and then i suppose i love biff i don't know who plays him i can't think of his name but he plays it perfectly i love it. biff we, we can fact check that yeah um no but i think performance wise across the board i don't think there's really a weak link I, I i thought it was funny when you mentioned when you said how even though he was i think he was like 24 25 mm. maybe 26 i think a few interviews they say a different age and it's hard to kind of yeah. get the exact but how nowadays when you see actors playing teenage roles, they're clearly thirty years old. Yeah, yeah. They just have quite kind of young faces. Whereas he, he actually really looked the part. Mm. Of he playing. embodied it like a teenager. Yeah. You know? It it's interesting how he got oh, to being where he was. Like yeah. he, because there's the whole story of Eric Stoltz, actually. I think they were filming six weeks of footage with Eric yeah. Stoltz as mm. Martin. Because yeah, I have the the Blu-ray and there's the. 
the back behind the scenes and actually show a couple of clips of Eric Stoltz yeah, playing yeah. Um, uh, Marty McFly but he again he looks too old he just doesn't yeah. look like a teenager I don't even know how old he was he might have been younger than he because was, for all he I he would have been around the same age because he's I think he's 52 now so he would have been around 22 I'm not, I'm not doing the math I'm too tired and 22 over, I like, think yeah around 22 23 yeah. um no, I think um, the, like what I think the film gets a lot of things absolutely right. Like, and obviously cast is one. I think like yeah. I honestly think like just talking about cast. I don't know how interesting it is to hear someone gush over how good the cast were because they all were good. But yeah. like, so I, I don't know. Maybe um, I think if they were if they were to recast it now, I don't think you could actually. I don't think there's any actor that could do what Michael J. Fox did, or I couldn't imagine anyone else playing Christopher Lloyd's character. You know what I mean? Like, I think. Because I imagine it'd be someone like Zac Efron, and it would be them going back to nineteen eighty five, and it would mm. be a shit show. Whereas with something like this, it just the right time, right place, right moment, everything was perfect. Even Huey Lewis was pretty good, and that's the <laughs> the guy, the judge for the talent show. I'm sorry, you're just too damn well. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a bit bittersweet with Michael J. Fox though, because if you look at it from Eric Stoltz's point of view, that guy was in that film for six months, I think. Or maybe no, I think it was. It was like six months or six weeks. Six I can't. Weeks, I think it, it was, was yeah. a, a good chunk of time for an mm. actor to be in a film. Like by that time, you kind of you are that role. You, yeah, you got you're, most. That's of the... your film. You're, you're, you're the star. But I think they were looking at kind of test test kind of views of the the, the, the scenes, and they were they were playing it over. And I think it was Bob Gale. I think it was both Zemeckis and Gale. They both said that the comedy wasn't quite there, and they had to make that decision. And I, I always feel a bit sad for Eric Stoltz because he kind of is this overlooked participant. He's he was yeah. like almost like a ghost actor there, and then Michael J. I think originally they wanted Michael J. Fox first. He was, but he was family ties. I think it yeah, was, yeah, exactly. And it just didn't work. The timing didn't work. And then eventually they pushed, and then that led to that famous story of Michael J. Fox having to do the ten a.m. or nine a.m. to to six p.m. Yeah. He was doing like um, nineteen show. hour days and yeah. 20, like 20, 19, 20 hour days on set of um, Back to the Future, which yeah. is insane because, like I said, his performance is so lively and so full of life. And I know for a fact if I'm coming in with three or four hours sleep, like today, my performance probably <laughs> won't be as good as it could be. It'll probably be great, don't worry. But in general, I can't imagine my performance would have been particularly lively. And I think that's exactly what he brings. So he does. He's like a, yeah. he's pretty much a live wire throughout the film. And I yeah. do think again, Christopher Lloyd is the exact same thing where. He just brings so much light. I just think everyone seems to be having fun while they're making it. And I can only imagine shooting a film set in 1955 with all the, the things that go with it, like the period piece, the clothes. It can just, it, you will have fun with everyone's playing dress up and just having a great time. Yeah, yeah. I think it was Christopher Lloyd that said uh, it almost felt like it was theatre in a way because of the way the costumes, like the, the sets, like everything was built, everything was physical. So much work and detail went into the, all, all the little like kind of knickknacks in the background to make it look really authentic and it, it he said it felt like you were doing like a theatrical performance like it wasn't like making a movie so i think that added to the energy mm. everybody just really was was trying to get it the first time but i mean like just imagine how fun it would be for someone like crispin glover wearing the the old man makeup and then yeah. playing young work like that would just be so much fun to play anyway, but and then getting to the idea of like just playing the geekiest version of yourself that you can possibly be, and yeah. then he gets to play a cool version of himself. He gets to play a loser version. Everything like it's, yeah. I'd say it's, I'd say on set it must have been just incredibly fun for everyone. I I just think it comes true. Like I think it needed to come true for a film like this. It's the type of thing where you're watching it, and you're thinking, well, they could have easily just said, oh, we'll make it a bit 
make it a bit more serious but they don't like even the idea of Mar- marty and his family disappearing i don't think they ever make that a big thing in terms of the story like it's a part of the story it's almost a mcguffin but i think in general there's like we're having a good time that's just in the background just to have something some goal for him to work towards but it just works so well performance wise like from the cast one of the things was that yeah Mar- or marty jesus Michael J. Fox was was because he was working the two different jobs. Like he was probably exhausted and just running on adrenaline. Yeah. And some of the stuff like the physical comedy from Michael J. Fox, like it's, it's phenomenal. A, there's a lot of it where it was probably just unintended, where he was just tired or like mm-hmm. and the bits where he falls over. And, yeah. And he, then, when he's when he's just been run over by by his oh man, his I'm get, like his grandfather. <laughs> there we go. See yeah. family trees don't. <laughs> Um, Stella and another one of these kids have jumped in front of my car again yeah, I was like how many kids <laughs> no, 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 down. so yeah the, the scene where his grandmother is calling his mother downstairs after he's kind of woken up in her bed and he's just everything's clicked he's like oh shit yeah. I'm in this situation uh, and he's desperately trying to get his jeans back on and he just kind of does that hop a couple yeah. of times and just just completely floors it there's no arms going out there he just crashes mm-hmm. and that was just phenomenal physical comedy and another one with great one was when he's just gone back in time and he steps out of the barn and he's kind of looking around there's a massive gunshot blast kind of explodes through the door next to him he looks at it really kind of absentmindedly and then staggers backwards and falls on his ass it's excellent comedy yeah. and christopher lloyd as well actually from the same blu-ray there's bits where they would do tests like screen tests or during rehearsals sorry, beforehand and they said like he wouldn't he wouldn't give like a hundred percent because he, he had so much energy to give. You wouldn't get the same kind Manic of performance kind of, from yeah. like in a, in a screen test. So what they used to do was like they would just keep the cameras rolling during rehearsals just to capture some of the madness that he did. But he, like he's unreal. Like he gave so much energy during every single scene. Like he constantly looks like in a state of panic. <laughs> um, the but, hair helps. To be fair, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that amazing stare he has where his 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 eyes triple in size. Yeah. His mouth kind of drops. I find Lloyd quite an interesting human being in terms of as an actor, because he never kind of entertained the role of Back to the Future. He was a mm. he was quite thespian. He wanted to go back onto the theatre circuit, and mm. he got the 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 script. And he first read, he was like, "Nah, I want to go back and I have some interest in the theatre. I've got some things I wanted to do there." And he kind of took another look and thought, "Ah, uh, he." I think he's quoted as saying when the interviews, he's kind of person that leaves no stone unturned which is what he revisited the script yeah. and then decided yeah i'm i'm doing this kind yeah. of thing and i'm so happy he did because he added so much to that relationship with his character of doc and uh, michael j fox's my name mcfly mm. yeah and it, that would that for me was like one of the best things i actually picked this up as i was watching it very recently about how the relationship between the two of them was for me as a kid when i watched it one of the first times i'd seen someone who I could really identify with, Marty, uh, as, as Marty, having this kind of completely normal, friendly, fun relationship with an adult. And the adult wasn't kind of someone you'd put up on a pedestal as like, I think as a child, you, you tend to put adults up on pedestals because they're authority. Mm. But he was this equal guy. He was like, he, he was flawed. He chatted to you. He had kind of, he, he, he obviously cared for Marty and they, they hugged a lot. They were friends. They talked to each other as equals. And for me, that was a, the, probably the first time I'd ever even entertained the notion that you could be friends with a grown-up. Yeah. Like, it was yeah. it was 
I, I, I also think as well, like if that film was to be made now, I think there'd be a lot more jokes about the fact that he's hanging out with a creepy older man. Yes. Whereas yeah. that doesn't come into it at all. And I think, yeah. like, I sh- and nor should it, but I love that it is just so natural. It's kind of like, well, f- well, he is friends with him because he lets him play with his amp. He lets him do experiments with him. He let everything, like, he just, he can hang out there because, like, his household, Marty's household is... <laughs> <laughs> I, I do not envy growing up in a household like, I think Lorraine is having like vodka for dinner like she's yeah. literally just drinking a straight just drinking a straight yeah. put in his dad is a loot like I think at one point he's literally pouring snacks into a bowl and he can't even do that right you're just thinking like what the hell how did he come from that family I think even uh, Doc says maybe you're adopted and yeah. like seriously I don't know how he's I, I don't even know how he's so well adjusted coming from a clearly alcoholic mother, loser father, like just, yeah. but it works. It does work. I think everything about it works. I do think Marty as well as a character, he is actually, he is kind of selfish and he is kind of, I'd say a little bit materialistic, but it works because he's a 17 year old kid. So it works, mm-hmm. it works well. Like he is more annoyed when the car, when Biff crashes the car while drinking, by the way. I know. <laughs> yeah. I nearly spilled my beer. Marty's more concerned with the fact that he has doesn't have to carry that weekend. Yeah, he's got a date. Yeah. Or the fact that he, in fact, at one stage he checks out two women while he's talking to his girlfriend. And you're thinking Marty's a bit of an asshole, but it works because you're thinking, well, he's a seventeen-year-old, so it works so yeah. well. I think yeah. they weren't. I think now again, you're they'd be afraid of making him give give those character beats to someone because. If you said, well, look, this character there is checking out women with his girlfriend there. This guy is more concerned about the car. This guy um, lies because he said, oh, I was, I was 25 minutes late because of the clocks in Doc's yeah. house. And it's like, well, no, no, no. You were there for about five yeah. minutes. You were 25 minutes late because you didn't wake up. And even then, when he actually went, Doc's like, it's really important you have to meet me. He forgets all about it. And Doc has to ring him and says, where are you, Marty? But that's fine. I think all these are fine. Like, these are things that people would say, oh, he's such an asshole, but it just works because he's a 17-year-old and they're allowing him to be a 17-year-old. Yeah. I think if you see films now, you'll have people, they'll try and make them almost saintly where they don't do anything wrong. They, they're not assholes. They'd never look at another woman. They'd never do any of this. But Marty does all of this and it just makes them so much more relatable because yeah. we all lie about being on time. We all can't take the rejection he said he can take we all check out with you know what i mean it yeah. just works so well i think um him as a him as a character even just throughout because he doesn't actually really make any grand big changes in fact like one of the biggest rewards for him is getting that jeep he wanted because his family are now rich that's literally his story yeah exactly if, if you look at kind of these underlying themes of courage and how you how it's all about not worrying about rejection not worrying about mm. failing and just doing it it's to do um, with his dad. It's to do with his dad and also to do with Doc, Doc yeah. Brown as well because the whole flux capacitor invention and stuff. But yeah. for Marty, it's not that. It's about the car. It's about the car <laughs> and going to the lake with Jennifer. Yeah. And yeah. that's his That's his, his goal. And I think that's really, that's intrinsic to mm. but it what does, you were saying. Like it does work. I don't, like, I have no problem saying that. Marty does many asshole things, but it works so much better, I think. And I think... What all he needed to see was understanding his parents as humans rather than as parents. And that's what he suddenly saw because when he met them at his age, he was able to say, oh, his mother, I think, at the table was like, oh, I don't like this girl because she's too forward. And she's literally taking his trousers off for no reason. <laughs> yeah. He's saying he can stay in my room. <laughs> all the dislikes. So yeah. he sees them as the people they were rather than the people they become for him. That, that figure almost, like you said, he didn't yeah. put them on a pedestal for him. I think they'd fallen off that pedestal a long time ago. Mm. And this kind of, again, just 
made him understand where they're coming from. But that's a good point because that kind of leads us into the story as well. Uh, Steven Spielberg even said it, and I'm pretty sure Bob Gale, <clears throat> when he was interviewed about writing it and how he came up with the story, was he went back to like his parents' house after the Used Cars was the movie they did together, him and Zemeckis before Back to the Future. I think. Um, yeah, they did. A, I think they did a couple. Yeah, there was a few there. Um, but anyway, he he went back to his parents' house and he said he started wondering like what they were like when they were in high school mm. and would he have been friends with them? Like, would they have been assholes? Uh, how would he have gotten on with them? And I think it is. There's like the the story is Steven Spielberg said it. It's kind of about that generation gap. You don't really realize it growing up, yeah. like what your parents would have been like at your age, because you, you don't have that context. Mm. You did, you didn't know them then. And his mother was already kind of a broken woman by that point, and she's kind of projecting her own insecurities onto him. Yeah, she, she she doesn't. Like, she say um she says oh when I kissed him that night I knew I was going to spend the rest of my life with him and actually looks sad about it. Yeah. you know you're thinking like. This is like it's kind of tragic their whole story is tragic and that's why yeah. I like I don't think they go into the ins and outs of who Marty is because Marty is cool simple mm-hmm. as he is brave he is courageous he's got all of that it's that he needed to give that to his parents which is I think is a good kind of role reversal because generally you'll have the older person like I said it is Marty is the most self-assured besides the part where he says he couldn't deal with that type of rejection but I think that's literally just for the mirror image of him and his dad and Doc Brown but he gives everyone that sense of belief I think that he comes into contact with and I think it works so well and yeah. I, like I said I think it's he's a flawed character but he's probably the, the, the best character in terms of like his courage his bravery everything and just doing the right thing you know what I mean I don't I, like he can be an asshole or whatever but he can still do the right thing and I think yeah. that works so well um, and I love that they don't really explain the ins and outs of the time travel is like this is how our time travel works that's it the yeah. whole pseudoscience yeah. thing we were talking about in the yeah. last podcast yeah you don't need to go nah. into detail yeah. like flux capacitor fluxing <laughs> yeah yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and yeah that that was a great piece of dialogue and, and that is a trend throughout the film yeah. when you look at how marty's actually not an intelligent human being no. <laughs> there's a couple of lines uh, he didn't even register that when he was being chased by the terrorists at the beginning, and he says, let's see if you bastards can do 90. He had n- no recollection that not a couple of minutes ago, <laughs> Doc had said, when this baby hits 88 miles an hour, yeah. you're going to see some serious shit. So he was just preoccupied with hitting 90 to get away from that super stereotypical, massively cliched, yeah. would not get away with that nowadays terrorist yeah. kind of yeah, trope. Yeah, I can't imagine they'd say, oh, Doc Brown's been dealing with ISIS lately. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that it's would like happen. The Libyans, they found me, just a generic, yeah. as, as generic yeah. as you can make it. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, and he didn't even register. I, I don't think at the time he even registered that he was about to go back in time. Uh, and the other, another one which springs to mind is where he goes back, he goes to school in his parents' era and uh, he says, well, they really clean this place up. Yeah. And it's like, no. <laughs> no, Marty. Yeah. This, is, this is prior to where you were existing originally. Yeah. Um, and I just found that, that very, and that's almost endearing. And it's something I didn't pick up as a kid because mm. I was just, I saw him, he was skateboarding, he was, you know, he was the cool kid. Yeah. But th- I think that's that, that's kind of what I was getting at, especially watching it now. With so many years removed, you're like, I don't know how he gets away with this. But then you're like, because he's great. Like, that's why. The reason his girlfriend puts up with him is because he is great. Like, and the reason he is, he's able to impart this wisdom onto his parents 
when they're teenagers is because he's cool so you're gonna listen to him like his name is calvin klein come on you're gonna you're gonna <laughs> think this guy is the coolest coolest guy ever you know so as it like i think he's not the perfect character but he's perfect for this and that's why it's that's why i think it works so well because like i said in modern day films people are almost saintly and he's not and that works even better because he's not perfect but he's perfect for the, his parents at that time he's perfect for doc he's perfect for because he will be the one saying yeah why not to doc because i can't imagine doc would have many people that'd be willing to do these experiments because i can only imagine they'd be quite dangerous but he's like yeah let's do it you know what i mean and i think with his parents he says to his says to his dad like go for it do this go for it go for the girl you can do it pretty much and like he encourages all of this and it's just because marty mcfly is a character regardless of his flaws is a good is a good guy you know what i mean so yeah he doesn't have any like there's no evil in him or mm. uh bad intent like everything he does is is with good intentions and like he's a little bit naive mm. at some points but again he's 17 yeah. so that's he's fine. a teenager so yeah it works like yeah. it just works so with the so i actually had a good question because there was a comment that came up when i was looking into some of the, the interviews and, and stuff around this about this whole theme of incest okay so it it's it's actually the reason why actually including disney a couple of kind of entities said no we 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 don't want that within our house we don't Mm. want that to be part of our label or whatever so the straight studio so spielberg picked it up because he thought it was really interesting and he kind of read the script and he he liked a lot of the principles and and a lot of the themes that were kind of shown in it but do you think it's a glaringly bad thing do you think it is incest do you i mean there's there's no act going on there it's to be fair they play for play for laughs so i think anyone who would be offended by it you're thinking well it's a film about someone traveling back in time it's a comedy there's a crazy doctor in it like i think anyone who would take that as a negative to it i think is not is not actually getting what the point of the film is it is about his parents and like you said he's a type of person like the reason his dad needs to be more like him is because that's the type of guy his mom would fancy so then when he gets that then where like he kind of says look you need to be more like me george and that's what she, that what ultimately makes him the man he becomes. So it works like it just the the whole incest thing. I suppose would just be it's like it's just a comedy beat. They use it to show what Lorraine was like, which and Lorraine was a bit of a bit of a hooch. Promiscuous, <laughs> but that's fine. Like I think it works. I think you need to have not need to have the element. Not that I want incest in all my films or anything. Just seventy five percent. But I do think um, <laughs> in Back to the Future it works so well because, like I said, Marty is the guy George wants to be, and Marty is the guy that. Lorraine wants to be with so it's he, he becomes that person he becomes that key figure and that's why I think they even say we're gonna we call our son Marty after him because because he got them together so it works so well like I think just on that level I think you need to have the in air quotes the incest uh yeah. the incest see, part of it see, I, it didn't even register yeah when like so when cause I, again similar to Ghostbusters I had to watch this with two two kind of brain um tracks like one on one hand how did I perceive this as a kid on the other hand, how do, how do I perceive it now after a few, a few years in between? Yeah. And I didn't even pick up on that when I was a kid. I just didn't enjoyed it. Mm. I, I didn't I didn't kind of get that his mum was a bit kind of forward comparably to how she was when you see her in, in I guess, present day at the time. And even now, like I and I watch it now. I'm, I'm like, there's there's an innocence about it. It's not it's not designed to be that message. Yes. Yeah. And I think maybe whoever. I think Disney made a mistake by not by not kind of saying yes to to having this mm-hmm. within them kind of thing. But yeah, I I just found it was far more innocent than people make out because it isn't. It is Definitely. innocent. It's, it's, no. it's a comedy of errors. It's, it's, it's a kiss. Like although yeah. this, uh, there's one part when he first wakes up, he says, "You're so 
and he was going to say hot, but he changed <laughs> it to thin. And I think well, yeah. that's a bit weird, Marty, because yeah. she doesn't know you're, you're, yeah. you're her, her kid. Yeah. But you, you know do. that's your mother. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that, that for me is, that goes back to just him being just a city yeah. city teenager yeah. like he doesn't know like he's but he again like with marty like he just acts on instinct like he jumps in the car just like that he's when people shoot him he ducks he runs yeah that's the thing i think it's all about it's about going with your going with your gut going with yourself like whereas doc brown has self-doubt and especially in 1955 version of doc brown he seems a lot less sure of himself mm-hmm. and george certainly again is completely unsure of himself where it's just marty gives them that kind of assuredness to go be yourself and do what you want to do and that's why i love like he is himself throughout the whole film like i said there is no character arc but like i said i don't think he needs a character arc. i think that character is who he is and that's what that's what makes him so endearing it's someone who's unapologetically himself mm. whereas people like george as time went on he became less and less himself and it was about it was about marty pulling that out lorraine as well was less and less herself and he was about uh, Marty pulling it out of them so I th- like I said I think um, for all of these different angles like the incest angle or whatever it only works because you've got Michael J. Fox as Marty McFly at the centre of it now I think maybe if it was taken even a little bit lower like the, if the if given a little bit more of a dramatic tone even just a little bit more it wouldn't have worked yeah. it's pitch perfect how they've pitched the film how Marty performs how his parents are like everything is I think works exceptionally well for that film on that as well like the direction and even the story I think you you pointed it out actually James that like there's no there's not one joke in that film but I laugh my ass off yeah like, yeah watching it it didn't it didn't go out of its way to to make a a gag there was no gag it was yeah. just how the characters reacted to each other that was where the comedy came yeah. and and some of it was super understated like at the beginning when um when Doc has the remote control and he's kind of piloting the car around the parking lot um at the mall and he's driving it towards them and, and it's getting fuzz and Marty takes this like very <laughs> subtle side step and he pulls him back and that that isn't emphasized there's no like yeah dun, 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 tsh, yeah kind of thing, you know like comedy drums and it goes comes and goes and and that is laid into the film completely regularly like it's it's there all the time um in in one way or another and when you're like like i was saying like repeat viewings really make a difference there because yeah. the more and more you watch it the more and more you pick up on this stuff yeah. And it adds to, to your appreciation of the film as to how you interact with the film on a mental level. Yeah. How you read the film, I guess, is, is a good way to say it. Because you actually read films. You can't yeah. read the structure and, and so forth. Yeah. But I think that that kind of comedy is, is so well done. And it's, it's... I mean, I would even go so far as to say it's, it's an action comedy. Like, it's... Yeah. It, I mean, it blends a lot of genres, but it, it there's it's it's great. There is comedy there, but it's in a very specific way. Yeah, it's, mm. it's very nuanced. Like, But, I mean, when you think about it, right... What's in this film, right? You've got an alcoholic parent and a loser parent who's been bullied in his workplace by a guy who is a drink driver and potential rapist. Let's be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. But none of these things are what you remember because the it's like I said, it, it, they pitch it so well. It's it is a comedy first and foremost. Like I said, I don't think there's jokes, but they pitch it as a comedy because that's what will work. Because if they took it any, if they took it at any even an octave more seriously it would suddenly be kind of like well this is a bit of a downer isn't it like imagine if they said oh we'll we'll really make his home life more dramatic and kind of more depressing but they didn't maybe we'll make this um when biff put like uh, pretty much throws himself at the rain let's make this a little bit more dramatic but they didn't like everything was played for this this kind of happy zone where they weren't playing everything for laughs the the last you'd find yourself you know so i don't think they were like i said there was not like witty remarks all the time there's not 
punchlines, everything, but they just said, let's play as a comedy and everything will fall into place. So they didn't have to worry about the incest. They didn't have to worry about characters being too dark. They didn't have to worry about characters being too depressing because they knew we're going to do this right. Mm -hmm. If we do this right, none of this will matter. And I think that's why... I just think there's a lack of caring really about the audience almost, but I think that works. I think they said, well, we could we could really give the, the rules of time show. No, don't care. We could really um, talk more about Marty and give him a character. No, it doesn't matter. We could really give uh, give his home life if we could go more in-depth into how depressed it would be. No, let's not do that. It was literally said, I don't think it's a surface level film at all, but I think they said, let's just do the film, make the adventure, and then everything else will fall into place. And I love that approach to it. I think it, it's this lack of caring, because we were talking only earlier on about the backlash that you can get as a filmmaker before a film even comes out, whereas I feel like no one involved in that was worried about how it was going to be going to be seen or yeah. received exactly. That's an interesting point because the director, Robert Zemeckis, and Bob Gale both said that they were worried about working with Steven Spielberg again because... He wants to make everything as accessible and... Yeah, yeah. but also they, they had done three films with Spielberg as director. Or he had, No, he had produced their last three films mm. and they were all fairly lukewarm like receptions they weren't hits and when they approached him about doing back to the future he loved it he wanted to do it with them but then they were kind of like actually hang on and they said this to him like the last three films we've done together haven't been great like at the box office and we're afraid if we do this one we you know we're we're kind of going to be typecast almost as like the guys that only work with steven spielberg mm. because they're friends with him like not because they make good movies yeah um, so they went off and did what was the movie they did in between romancing the stone romancing the stone Robert Zemeckis directed it and like that was obviously big a, a big hit yeah. so that when they went back then to Spielberg after that and said okay are you still up for this and he was like yeah definitely let's do it yeah the irony of Romance in the Stone is they completely ate Spielberg with that because they said oh let's kind of do our own Indiana Jones style adventure but I think Steven Spielberg is, is um, for this film as well I think he is the type of person that you would like steering because he's the type of person who can get that all right but I think like I said, Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale at that point, they said, we're just going to do our own thing. And I think that works. So you have you have the assured kind of presence of Spielberg, but then you have Zemeckis and Bob Gale going for broke with this. And I think that's why it works so well, you know? Mm. I think it was, in terms of, if, if we're looking at reasons why you wouldn't work with Steven Spielberg <laughs> initially, that's actually... Yeah. <laughs> but that was actually quite a good... A relatable reason as to why they didn't initially want to go with mm. Spielberg for Back to the Future because of what you were saying there, Craig. I think that it's it's it, you can understand why. Like, and I would be the same. I mean, I, I don't have the same level of talent as those guys, of course. But I think if I put myself in their shoes after f three or four kind of productions, I'd be like, meh. I I, I kind of want to branch out on my own a bit and not, like you said, not be kind of stereotyped or tarred with the same kind of. Yeah kind of label but that's yeah. kind of the story of back to the future isn't it like yeah strickland says you're slack you're never going to be anything you're just like you're, you're it's literally about them saying booking the trends and saying no i'm going to just go for it and that's what it feels like for definitely zemeckis and bob gale but even with marty mcfly they just say i'm going to go for this because this is my chance and you do get that impression from like you said like, i didn't know they had kind of modest failures before mm. this so i i kind of thought this was part of pretty much a series of just success after success so uh, that's the kind of thing like they they bring in their own insecurities into their characters i think and it works so they just because i think experiencing that level of rejection which they kind of have and then they have yeah. it then within george they even have it within marty and they're even with doc brown and they say let's kind of do the opposite of this. so i think it just works on so many levels the um 
the film because they're not afraid to go for go for broke with their what they're going for, you know. So yeah, they had done before. He'd done three movies before Back to the Future. Oh, I'm forgetting about Romance in the Stone, but I want to hold your hand, 1941, and Used Cars. So none of them were. Yeah, well, I've only heard. Of, I've only heard of Used Cars. Yeah, uh, 1941 was the only one I knew, <clears throat> just because of um, yeah, Belushi. Oh John yeah, Belushi. But the other two, no, I'd I'd never heard. When we were talking about like the direction and the story, one of the interviews that they had with Bob Gale, he mentioned they had like the rough outline of what they wanted. And I think this goes back to you saying like they didn't go too deep into anything. They literally had an idea of what they wanted to do. They used the, not the post-it system. What was the name of those cards they used? They um, had, yeah, they were kind of like, I think in, in, in the States they call them report cards. They're, yeah. they're these specific like size small cards kind of probably a bit bigger than business like cards. flashcards almost kind yeah, of. yeah, yeah like so if you're revising sized. or doing a speech you kind of flick through yeah. them as you go yeah so he said like as they were writing it they said let's let's keep it really basic and they went like so what happens marty goes back in time so they put it up marty goes back in time and then they put another card saying marty goes to the future so marty goes to the future so how do we get marty from back in time to yeah. the future and then they start adding stuff in between like all the different layers one of the things was if the marty knows marty invents the skateboard like yeah. so we need to show at some point before marty invents the skateboard we need to show him like having an actual interest in skateboarding but you don't need to go into detail of it you just need to have a scene with him on a skateboard mm. like going to school or whatever and that that's that lends a lot of weight to the whole idea that the visual storytelling yeah in the film is is i i find it really amazing it's one of those films like i was saying you could repeat view and still find little things yeah pick up little things i think nowadays like if you've been watching it regularly for maybe 10 years there's less mystery to what you're seeing mm. yeah. and it's it's just more of a kind of a comfort film but yeah um as you as you jump in more and more you kind of pick up on so much stuff like yeah especially especially comparable storytelling so how they managed to dress up a scene based on the time period with doc brown's the the, the visual storytelling around doc brown is quite interesting especially when um, marty looks him up after he's realized he's he's had this massive oh shit moment he's stuck yeah back in time and he's he's looked up doc brown and he finds him in the phone book and heads over to his house and that whole scene is really really excellently done because if you watch that for the first time all you do is look at the kind of dynamic between the two characters what they're saying to each other the storyline you want to see what's going to happen next because Molly needs to get back to, to get the car to go to the lake and you don't really pick up on a certain element of tragedy around Doc and you see that if you look at his surroundings like firstly the first thing you notice is that he doesn't really belong there with what he is as, as a essentially a mad scientist yeah. and the whole interior of that it's a mansion really is isn't his and, and you don't it's never explained in the film no. but if you play the video game which is actually canon um it talks about doc brown's teenage years when he was marty's age and you find out that his father was actually this really regal judge that was really pushing for for doc to become for a lawyer to become a lawyer yeah and mm. that that's a lawyer that's a judge's house um, and he's completely out of place. Like you have this this beautiful furniture, everything has a lovely finish, but in intermingled with it, are these devices. Yeah. The first thing you see is that crazy kind of helmet he's got on, trying to read Marty's mind with a suction cup, and that's in the middle of like a dining room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it, and there's that level of tragedy there that he hasn't quite become what he wants to become. He's like a, almost like a chrysalis mm. of insanity. Um, that's a really weird terminology, but and it like we were saying, it takes Marty to bring that out of yeah. him. But 
never really pick up on that initially mm. until you kind of... But it's funny to say because when I was watching it, I watched it yesterday and the very first scene, they do a panning shot of just the, of Doc's house pretty much mm-hmm. and it, on the wall he has, and he, I don't know why he framed these actually, but pretty much that Doc Brown has lost a family fortune. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was just like, why would why you would frame, frame yeah. that? Is that like, a point of pride? This is a good memory. This is a good memory. I want to remember that. But um, <laughs> I suppose, actually, do you know what? In a way, I suppose it, it does speak volumes today because that's the, the characters kind of define themselves by their failures. Even Marty does to an extent and I suppose literally he is framing his failures there. But let's be honest, he invents the time travel. He's, he should yeah. be pretty proud of himself yeah. and um, I suppose that's that's what the whole film is it's about kind of not letting your failures um, kind of define, define you yeah. rather than like kind of and it is about trying you know what I mean? it's not actually about succeeding it's about trying because that's all Marty is encouraging like his, his dad to do is yeah. at least try you know so the difference as well between what Doc became <clears throat> and where he came from like the the first scene of the movie where he's kind of he's gotten to the point where he's at, at the time you don't know he's invented time travel but you can see he's kind of become almost like I was going to say frantic or passionate but like obsessed yeah. with getting that end goal of, of time travel because he's got like there's clocks all over the place the the dog is hasn't eaten in, in days because he's not there yeah. and like there's plutonium under the bed <laughs> also <laughs> he's dealing with terrorists and he's dealing with <laughs> terrorists yeah yeah, um, yeah the whole sleeping sleeping direct maybe like 12 inches above yeah. weapons grade plutonium <laughs> Was something I actually picked up on when I, when we watched it the other night, and it's like that guy is sleeping above highly radioactive <laughs> material. <laughs> but he even, I think he even says um, when he finds out it's like one point two one gigawatts, and he's like, "What about what was I thinking?" Yeah, he he literally that's the, the desperation has gone to a point where he's doing what for him even was unthinkable because yeah he wanted to achieve what he wanted to achieve. It is about it is about people wanting to achieve achieve their dreams in whatever way they can. Obviously, Marty's just to get the the jeep, the but jeep. everyone else actually has these big, these big dreams, these big aspirations, and Marty's the one who brings it out in them. So yeah. it really does. Like I just, like I said, I, I know I keep going back to it. Just I love that Marty as a character. They don't put all this on him instantly. He's not that character, but he just brings mm-hmm. it out when people force of will and interacting yeah. with his his energy. Like yeah. Um, so we we haven't so we haven't actually talked about two characters in. Billy Zane main characters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like Billy Zane as well. A star is born. Yeah. yeah. Just just him not saying anything, we're just <laughs> smiling and laughing and egging Biff on. Uh so the the two kind of key characters would be, um, for me at least, which we haven't talked about, Crispin Glover and the DeLorean. Oh yes, yeah. Because that in itself and I, I think for me as well that next to Ecto One, they're characters in themselves. And yeah. you don't really see that, I don't think, in films now. Really? Yeah, well sure, even when they actually are characters, they're not they're not even characters like for example, Transformers. I couldn't tell you what the character Bumblebee is in the Transformers films because they're so badly characterized that it doesn't matter. And that is literally a car that can transform into an anthropomorphic robot and he's still boring. Whereas I've got a lot more affection for an actual car in like for Ecto One, for example, or the DeLorean. Yeah. But no, I think you're right. I think it's a period piece now for us as well because obviously the eighties is now period. Sure, even the sequels a period piece. It was last year, so it was twenty fifteen. But I think um like they they just pitch everything again. It's just about perfect pitch, perfect pitch every time. Like so, with the, the DeLorean, it just from the eighties going like the most eighties of car you can think of going up to the nineteen fifties. Like you know what I mean? It really does. Like the, even the idea of it, even the the fact that the 
the doors open a certain way. It as um, why did why did Doc say he picked? It? I think he said it because it looked futuristic. Yeah, I can't I can't remember the the specific reasons as as to why they chose the DeLorean, but it was it was put in front of of the right people and they signed off on it and said yeah this, mm. this is great. The, yeah. Some of the concept art is, is beautiful. It's actually really. The technical eye is lovely, yeah. um, and you can really see how it was kind of built with every tiny little kind of nook and cranny mm. conceived there. It was to, how how would you make it look like something that could feasibly be a time travel device? Mm. Yeah. And it's so much better than the fridge that they originally yeah, thought yeah. about, which then manifested in that's funny. Indiana Jones. Yeah, and be, kind of yeah, it became well. fucking Indiana Jones. Steven Spielberg still still clung on to that idea. <laughs> Yeah, they mentioned that they couldn't figure out what the device would be to have them travel back yeah. in time. And I think that's crazy. Like, So they were already pretty much at a point of this is being ready to be filmed. And they still hadn't nailed down like how they go back in time. Like, or what like device gets them back in time. And I think that says a lot about like this the way movies were made back then. Mm-hmm. That... But you, you were saying yourself about the, the cue cards they had. Yeah. And it was, it was very loosely plotted because they said, well... They didn't want to get too in depth about it, and that's why, like I said, I think the fact, like the fact that they didn't know, it, it's crazy to think about. But I suppose it just goes along with their thinking for the rest of the film, where they was kind of like, "This is just, we're just having a fun ride doing this, whatever yeah. we do." Even if I, even if it was a fridge, like it, they would have probably had something funny to do with that as well. Mm. But then I don't think they would have had a good action set piece in the beginning of the film, and they definitely would have had the iconic like the, the, flames the flames going under their legs yeah. and mm. the iconic scene at the end as well like it yeah. just works so much better and then in the second one with the flying DeLorean as well like everything kind of works better I don't know if you can have a flying fridge in the sequel no, so it would have been really I don't think it would have worked quite that, as well I think the sole reason why they said no to the fridge was because they needed something more mobile yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah but yeah I just find that really funny that it kind of turned up again in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull yeah. as, like a, as a nod what, what movie? I don't <laughs> is that the the the, the unnamed Indiana Jones yeah, project yeah, I, that I, I no don't one even know what you're talking about because yeah. they black it out? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the Men in Black flashy yeah. thing. Like, <laughs> he who shall not He's just a blank memory. Slip. And uh, onto Crispin Glover, he's a weird man in real life, but I think he um he obviously he's obviously an outsider, and I think because he is such an outsider in his actual life he worked so well as George particularly when he was playing the young version of George but even then when he's playing like I think he he's pretty much the stereotypical geek you don't really see them like they're kind of the quite too busy seen say by the bell in the background getting beaten up by the bullies or whatever but he he plays it and you believe it because he is into science fiction and it's more about what happened to him as a as a teenager that kind of went on to define him and I think you buy him as a geek pretty because he's been beaten down so much and this is kind of the only way he knows how to be whereas when you see him in the future when he goes back to the future and things have changed and he is kind of lame still but he's cool with cool with himself so it's fine like yeah i think the kind of self-assuredness is what gives him that coolness and that's exactly why again why marty is so cool because he's so self-assured yeah. so i think uh chris mcgover is pitch again pitch perfect. i keep saying but really is pitch perfect he, he was he worked really well kind of like as the anti-Marty almost yeah. Yeah, there was, there was oh, yeah there total like, opposite yeah, like introverted uh, like social kind of outcast constantly bullied mm. never stood up for himself like weird mannerisms yeah like very but it's of... funny there's a scene where he's sitting at the um, I think it's like a canteen or whatever but he's sitting the exact same way Marty is in the coffee shop coffee yeah, shop that's yeah, it yeah. And, and he turns at the same time like so it's funny because then what you can imagine is Marty starts seeing more of himself instead which he never would have seen before and he's mm-hmm. like well maybe if he just got that little push 
he needed rather yeah. than being kind of pulled because that's what it was people pulling him Biff saying you're coming here or whatever but he was trying to push him to kind of be the person he can be and like I think again Crispin Glover just because he is that outsider he can play an outsider in his sleep I can imagine he probably has played an outsider in his sleep I don't know <laughs> like he's he's a crazy man so um yeah in real life he's, yeah. he's that kind of outsider there yeah so he again excellent and then I am um, I think um I'm surprised is it Leah Thompson's her name yeah I think it's Leah it's Thompson, Leah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Leah I I, I, yeah, I Leah. would name Really yeah, yeah, yeah. I was surprised she didn't have more of a career because she's very like. Do you know? Do you know what it was like? I actually, there was a, a thing about this. Um, it was actually Howard the Duck. Oh, so right. Howard the Duck is renowned as this film that after the film was released and it kind of just exploded uh, in in badness mm. um, and critical slamming. It just was just a, a shitty movie. Yeah people decided or Hollywood decided that the actors and anyone involved in that were to be kept at a distance for whatever reason. Yeah. And it it's not confirmed, of course. There's no kind of data to back it up, mm-hmm. but it, it's largely perceived as the reason why some of the people who acted in that film didn't get work afterwards because of how bad it was. Yeah, so. it is crazy. I suppose a flop can really hurt you. I, yeah, and and that that was a, that was actually that raised an interesting point, which ties in with Crispin Glover too. Is that that was a key example of where the internet would have helped if it existed at the time, mm. um, because there was no way to to kind of discuss things. There was no way to for for actors, for directors, for anyone involved in the production process to kind of communicate with the masses. So people could see that they were human beings and this is mm. still, this is a job, you know? Um, and that was very similar with Crispin Glover and partly down to why he wasn't in the second one, but was kind of in the second one. He was just essentially another actor with prosthetics yeah, to make yeah. him look like him. And I remember there was, there was a, I'll actually link this afterwards in the um, podcast post, but there's a very long interview with him and he says, he actually cites that the internet would have been a great, and Twitter would have been a great thing to have when this whole controversy around him apparently demanding the same wage as Michael J. Fox for the second film. And that's the reason why he wasn't included mm. in the film. Um, he would love to have had the ability to communicate more with larger groups yeah. of people to kind of defend himself almost. Yeah. And he did sort of cite that a lot of things were taken out of context in his earlier interviews. That plus the kind of news that apparently he was asking for the same amount of money as Michael J. Fox. And then that was why there was a disconnect there. Yeah. People put two and two together and then created this perception of him. He had no ability yeah. to defend. Yeah. And that was quite sad. I thought it was quite a sad thing. And maybe that's just him defending himself. There may be truth to the other the other areas we talked about. But um, I, I, f- I found that very interesting. And the, the other great anecdote I found there was that, because he actually sued, we were talking about this, but he sued... Um, Spielberg I think it was Spielberg he, he basically he basically pushed legal action um, because of his depiction like, in the yeah. second one and it wasn't him and there was no precedent for that at that time there was there was no kind of legal grounds to be able to execute there um, and he's the reason why that that lawsuit is the reason why that kind of law has changed now. Why, if you have a movie where maybe you have I don't know a picture of of an actor from the previous film in it, you have to do things like I think there's a whole royalty kind of stipulation yeah. there and recognition stipulation. There's all kinds of stuff enrolled in that. Yeah. So he kind of took a hit for the team there almost. <laughs> um, yeah, funny, like, to get that forward. Yeah, he said that uh, as well, probably from the same interview, that uh, another reason why he thinks he didn't get hired for the second one was because in the first one he questioned the ending of the movie in that like theme it was setting that 
they were unhappy in the beginning because they were poor and at the end they were rich so they were happy i know there's a lot of stuff in between there but apparently he questioned that and and that was one of the reasons too that they got angry with him and didn't invite him back for the second one. I'd actually agree with that, though. I don't think he's wrong. I do think no. um, the problem, like Marty's problems certainly are solved by the fact that yeah. they're rich, you know? But I think I think maybe he's been unfair, though, even especially to his character, because he became a sci-fi writer. Like, that's it's mm-hmm. not about being rich. It's about him doing something he loves for yep. it and making money from it, you know? Yeah, he just he's, happened to get money yeah. from it, yeah. yeah. Like, I think, I, I think he's right to an extent, but again, I think... Marty's allowed being materialistic. He's seventeen, so it's yeah. fine. You know, like, but I, I suppose again, when it comes to something like that, there's going to be a lot of mud slinging at the time. I think now it's fine, but I, I can only imagine that. I don't know, man. Like, the, I, I would have assumed that as well. But one of the a very interest, a very subtle thing, but very interesting. He, him, along with, um, man, the actor that played Bill Town. Why can't I think oh, of his name? Bill Town. I, I have, I have his name here. Over. But him and Chris Bing Glover weren't invited on any capacity back to the 30, 30th anniversary reunion kind of press junket yeah. or whatever. Thomas F. Wilson. Thomas F. Wilson, because he's, he's actually quite a successful stand-up com- yeah. comedian. Com- comedian yeah. Yeah. It's funny that he wasn't, like because he was in all three and... Yeah, and do you want, do you want to... No, go for it. Yeah, you, you, we were talking about it. Like, he, he has, um, he actually has Back to the Future kind of stints in his stand-up routine. Oh right, uh, and they're not necessarily glowing. Great, yeah. Glowing, yeah. And he kind of he 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 he. he I don't think he actually likes really that he was part of this this kind of phenomenal kind of franchise mm. that's stuck with people for years to come. I think he doesn't like being I don't know categorized solely by that, yeah. defined solely by that. Mm. Whereas comparably to him, the um. Kind of some of the tertiary actors like um, the guy who plays Mayor Goldie Wilson and so and Marvin Berry that those guys they they do all of the circuits. Yeah. Um, the original Jennifer as well. She um when she got replaced by Elizabeth Elizabeth Shue in in the second movie, and she does all the circuits, but Elizabeth Shue yeah. doesn't. So original Jennifer um, was so hot. Yeah. She's kind of she's she's she looks great now actually. Like she's um she's I think she's had a little bit of work. Yeah, you can see but, you know, a bit of Botox there. Everyone's cool. Like, that's fine. Right. injections. Yeah, it's Hollywood. It's Hollywood. Um, but yeah, I think uh, Biff as well, that kind of character, he probably suffered from it. I don't know. I'd have to look into his career. Type but cast, like, I mean, completely typecast, yeah. But it's brilliant. I don't know if you've ever seen Freaks and Geeks. He plays um, a PE teacher. Oh, right. And it's set in the 80s. And you think, oh, he's going to be an asshole. But one of the characters' parents start going, starts going out and he's the nicest guy ever. And I'd say he loved that because... Yeah. I assume when I first I remember first seeing I was like oh he's gonna be an asshole because he's an asshole he's no, yeah exactly <laughs> he is he's the archetypal bully but he was the opposite and he even though he was like a gym teacher you would have thought oh he's gonna be he's gonna be this type of character but no completely flipped on his head so I I can't imagine that he's probably always see, after Back to the Future he'd have to actively seek out those roles that would be something different because otherwise he's probably going to play the bully for the rest of his life. Or yeah. if he wanted Donald Trump, if you've ever seen Best of Future 2, <laughs> he pretty much is Donald Trump. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah, yeah that's a good point. Freaks and geeks, actually. Mm. Yeah, Would you, uh, have you watched the sequels? For Back to the Future. Yeah, with this week. Not this recent, recent yeah. yeah. I, I started watching the, the second one, and I loved the second one, but now I'm thinking, if I actually, if I was looking at true critical glasses, he, Zemeckis pretty much repeated the first film and the second one and got away with it because it's in the future but every it literally even has the same finale as well like it is crazy how much he got away with repeating the exact same thing over a formula yeah I, 
it's that's that's interesting to say as well because they didn't actually have when when the film wrapped the first film wrapped there was no intention to have a sequel and, mm. and you know when you watch it now you see that big to be continued yeah. kind of banner that, that, that was, title end yeah, card retrospectively added yeah, yeah. and it, it, with the kind of VHS that's when it got kind of tacked on at the end which is quite interesting and they and it's also one of the sole reasons why it's, it's cited why I think Bob Gale actually uh, Zemeckis or Gale said this but it's the reason why Jennifer for the second two for the sorry for the second and third films is just kind of sleep unconscious for half the time because they had no idea what to do with it there's no feasible way they could write her in yeah. further into the story I mean I'm sure they could have yeah. I mean in some way but yeah if they um, tried they but tried. again I think like I said I, with Zemeckis and Gale the last thing in their mind was overcomplicating it I think yeah. by doing that they're like oh look that just creates so another problem for us let's just keep it as, as basic and as fun as we can I think but it's uh, the reason I asked is just because on the list the second and third one don't actually make the list and I was just I was wondering how much of like a, fr- a franchise, for example, because you did mention uh, Indiana Jones four, just how maybe because the third one wasn't particularly well received. I know that, and I'm wondering how much of that can actually impact your enjoyment of the original. Because I I like to watch films in isolation, so I think the first one's amazing. The second one is great. Third one I'm not particularly fond of, but I think people will often say like, "Oh, well, that ruined it for me." You know what I mean? Like I know a lot yeah. of people would say with something like. Indian Jones like oh don't like Indian Jones because of one and I just where do you fall on do you like the second and third one as much as the first one or when I was without any kind of knowledge that the second and third one existed and all I had to go on was the first movie the to be continued bit at the end it was my favourite film yeah and for, for many years it was my favourite film and then the second film came out which also had that to be continued yeah. in the end, and the preview kind of yeah. footage as well, because um, they, they, they were both basically one film. They split it into kind of yeah, yeah. shot back to yeah. back. I think yeah, exactly. Mm. I actually for a long time felt that the second movie was my favorite, mm. but for the wrong reasons. Yeah, and I think the reasons were because this was a, an amazing depiction of the future. Yeah. yeah, and I think we've only just I think two thousand and fifteen yeah. was that. So now, we, that's now a period piece. Back so to it's, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's. And it's it's it had such a kind of it was so well sh- shot and so well the story was so well told visually. Again, that visual storytelling was not maybe to a lesser extent in the third one because that was more of a, a world west yeah. movie. But the sec the second one was like version two point of that visual storytelling. And there's a reason why there are so many blogs and articles and shows on what did Back to the Future two get right. Yeah, and that basically just reinforces how why I love that second one so much more than all the others at the time. Yeah, from a an analytical point of view, from a, a structural point of view, yeah. I think the first one is superior beyond all measure mm, compared yeah. to the three, to the trilogy as a whole. But from just a, a fun kind of oh wow, yeah. they, they actually got that right. It or, is well, funny though because I know for I know when I was younger as well, Back to Future Two was my favorite because it had the future it had the past it was like the best of both worlds flying car but then exactly but then you when you look at well like i said when i was watching it, i was kind of like jesus he got away with so much here like i just think if anyone was to pretty much remake their own film in a sequel you're gonna get slack for it, you know what i mean but it does work to an extent but i would now understand the kind of the critical reception of the second one now especially comparison to the first because the first one is just so tightly wound it's perfect almost i think it is probably the perfect kids film anyway per- any i think anyone to see this before they're kind of 13 or 14 it's it's a must but i do think the second one because i think put it this way i think if you saw the, the first one and the second one back to back that's because i did i literally watched the second one straight after i finished the first one i was just like ah so i'll throw it on 
And I remember thinking, like, I just I can't get over how much they got away with cribbing from the first one. Yeah. But it, it, I just find, I just thought it was an interesting, interesting that they weren't as well received. But pretty much, he said, "Oh, we'll just pretty much do the same format all over again." But mm. it didn't obviously work as well. But yeah, it's 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 interesting. The um, if you look at just the script. It's actually, I mean, when I was at film school, it was um, it was cited as, as an example of, of one of the perfect scripts yeah. in terms of how it's written, how it's structured, how it's paced, how there was no kind of over-explanation of, of why something was. It was just taken in the flow of, of the way the script was written, how things, and the visual storytelling was also a key component there. But I, I always found that when you, especially when you think about Eric Stoltz, a lot of the reaction shots in that film, the first film, um, are actually reaction shots to Eric Stoltz. Oh, yeah. That's... Which is a mind job. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. thinking about that, watching that film, knowing that, that when you see the doc reacting to Marty and it's a, it's a focal shot of him, he could be actually looking at Eric Stoltz there and not Michael J. Fox. Yeah, um, that for me, like, ha- affected affected my my appreciation of it almost and not in a horrible way but i couldn't really concentrate on the film anymore because i was thinking wait i felt like i don't know i felt like it had been betrayed a little (laughs) little bit but the second one didn't have that and there was a pure purity to that yeah so i I think it's i think definitely like it's a good point to say like it is almost like a a a reprint of the first one with a different setting and a different you Mm. know the future instead of the past kind of thing Mm. but i think for me the second one wins out a little bit just for pure enjoyment yeah because i can actually not keep thinking oh god is are they looking at eric stoltz <laughs> yeah. oh, i'm getting paranoid here i just think <laughs> I, I think as a sequel a lot of time you you kind of have to pay fan service and i think it was an abundance of fat like fan service being paid in the second one the one thing that it has though is it's just a lot of fun it's a lot of fun to yeah. watch so once they get that right i'm i'm fine with that but i just think especially watching the first one with more a more critical eye and then you're kind of in that mode and watching the second one or most of it anyway i was kind of able to say well now i can really see why people say back to future 2 was inferior to back to future 1 because like i said back back when i was a kid i know for a fact back mm. to future 2 was my shit so yeah, as soon as that car took off <laughs> best film ever so. yeah i'm in but it's interesting as a like the, the last and impact the trilogy has had that most of the kind of stuff that i think people remember is from the second is, is from the second yeah. One. yeah even though the first one is hands down the better movie the second one is yeah more remembered than... well sir last year you could buy the um pepsi the, the elongated bottles mm-hmm. the the hoverboards were all over the internet. Yeah, the, the, the Nike chief. fucking. The Nike, yeah. Were they Nike or were they? They were Nike. They were yeah. thinking they were Nike. Yeah. Um. They, they, that was interesting because they man that was a crazy marketing campaign. I remember the, the the commercial had one of their stores and then Doc runs in and there's this whole kind of mini narrative mm. and those shoes were were released very limited and. I think there was a whole charity thing wrapped in there, and yeah. they, some shoes were like three grand, like three thousand dollars, like insane. Yeah. But people would buy that, and they all sold out. Like, and that's a key point to raise that these are these are shoes which are the price of like a second hand car or something. Like, a, you could you could use a, do a lot with three thousand yeah. dollars. Uh, but people bought the shoes, and that for me is completely reinforces what you're saying about it's like this lasting impression yeah. it has this that second film people remember more because of those visual and i hate to say the word gimmicks yeah. these visual kind yeah. of hooks and these things like whoa his clothes just dried themselves they're on a skateboard which has no wheels and <laughs> i'm still waiting for that hoverboard to get released by yeah, one of these days but i think that's why the first movie is on the list and the other two aren't as a movie itself as a standalone film 
it's it's almost perfect like the amazing cast the direction is spot on they said Robert Zemeckis was like a really detail orientated and like re, like he pushed for those sort of reactions from people and like the, mm-hmm. those kind of close up shots but see it's funny where he it's funny where he put the importance on details is with the character moments yeah like he was doing that but he didn't say you know what you know what details are important time paradox are great no he didn't care about that it was all about yeah. like you said yeah, if you try yeah. and explain back yeah. to the future's time science time science showing <laughs> my, my scientific ability that if you explain his time science it doesn't work no like and, and you end up talking yourself into possible frustration confusion yeah, yeah. And arguments with friends and loved ones. But it's, 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 it's <laughs> not worth is, it. The way they, the way they pretty much frame it is: this is our science. Don't care what anyone else thinks, yeah. and they just go with it, and that's fine. I have no problem with that. Once they lay their own ground rules, and that's it. Once you're aware of the rules or the mechanic behind it, yeah. go with it. It's kind of like with Inception, like they have a mechanic, you go with it. If you don't want to go with it, that's your own problem. We're not going to bother explaining it too deeply. Like, yeah. you come along for the ride, and that's it. And I think that's the the way to go for uh, Back to the Future was that like i think it works so yeah it's like yeah. i don't like i don't care how exactly how the flux capacitor is meant to mm-hmm. work all i care about is that it's saved doc brown yeah from kind of a life of insanity and it, mm-hmm. there's even like i think it's in the second one where it, they have the newspaper um or maybe it's the third one i'm getting my, my sequels mixed up here but there's the newspaper front page and it has doc brown committed Oh, to a yeah. mental asylum and then it, that kind of changes to him winning some kind yeah. of scientific prize he probably still framed a Doc Brown committed yes well. <laughs> yeah, I think it was actually framed <laughs> so what's going on yeah. <laughs> and we'll, we'll probably I'll probably cut this bit out because we're getting quite long but like mentioning Doc Brown getting committed like I think Doc Brown was one of the most sane characters in the film like he, mm. he is he was completely rational. aware of yeah. what's going on around him he is rational he has like amazing reactions to, to some of the stuff that people do and he knows what he wants like and he knows he's working towards it like I remember thinking as a kid like he was crazy he was crazy scientist mad like mm-hmm. just his crazy wild hair and like his mannerisms and stuff but watching it now again with a more critical eye I'm like no he's actually he's a normal dude yeah. like who just happens to but be but it, it is funny that's why I was saying like I think when you're watching with an older eye when you're a teenager Marty is the man Marty is the man and then when I was watching it I was like oh he's a bit selfish he's a bit this you know and then yeah. you kind of start seeing like the, the character beats of every other character because suddenly they're the ones you relate to which is kind of sad that I relate more probably to Doc Brown than I do to Marty anymore <laughs> but here we are um, but um, I, I think you're right cause, and he's the one who kind of calms like ironically enough he's the one who calms the situation Marty comes to see him and he's like oh yeah I have a plan like within a few minutes he comes with the plan the yeah. clock terror and all that so it, it is, I think you're right he's kind of the level head which is ironic considering the yeah. way he looks, the way he acts, but he is the level head throughout. Yeah, definitely. So I think we all agreed though. Back to the Future is definitely Most on this list. Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. We could have sat here and talked about it for several hours, probably. So Back to the Future, definitely a movie you should watch before you die. Show it to your kids, even though today it would probably be a 12 or 15 maybe movie. There are some themes in there which would probably escalate. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, they, they might ask questions, but you know, <laughs> if you're a good parent, you should be able to answer them. <laughs> um, so next week we're going to do The Sixth Sense. M. Night Shyamalan. Shyamalan. Ding dong. Then, yeah, 1999 movie, The Sixth Sense. So if anybody listening has any thoughts on that beforehand or thoughts on Back to the Future, you can leave a comment on the website beforeyoudiepodcast.com. Just making sure I got that right. Yes. And on our Twitter page, at beforeyoudiepod. Yep. 
and their Facebook page too. Just look up Before You Die podcast. You should see it there. Oh, we also and, have an email. And we have an email, yeah, beforeyoudiepod at gmail.com. If you don't want to email us directly, you can do it through the website or any of those other social media places. Or you can just follow me. Yeah, or just follow Down Adam. the street. Yeah, just just walk around behind them, shouting things at them, shout abuse. You, you just invited the internet to stalk you. I think I've invited like seven people, so it's okay. Yeah, but people will repeat... <laughs> Well, they'll tell if anyone in the future from then, that's a, that's an invite for 2016 only. So anyone from the future who's listening to this, don't follow me. I'll be too famous by that anyway. So I'll probably yeah, have bodyguards. Yeah, bodyguards and and, yeah. You just so you, what you just did was you did the equivocal thing of putting up your phone number in a phone box and then took it down really quickly. That's okay. I've had plenty of my phone my phone numbers in bathrooms before, so it's okay. This is not new. This is I feel like in our burgeoning friendship. That's a good fact to know. <laughs> It's good to know. Next week, the sixth sense, and like we said already, feel free to leave a comment, like, share, comment, all, all that stuff. Like, share, and do yeah, repeat. Well, yeah, just tell people. You know, repeat it verbatim, or do a a play about this podcast, or an interpretive dance. Yeah, interpretive dance. To communicate. Yeah, dance. Okay, guys, let's wave at the mic. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Bye, Mike. Bye, Mike.